peak season is here. How's it going so far? Companies focus on last mile logistics and more commitments to transition to zero emission vehicles. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. I am Dave Maloney, I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. As usual, our DC Velocity Senior Editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, most retailers admit that this will not be the typical holiday peak season this year. They have lots of inventory in the shelves, and we're seeing that that peak season is actually being stretched out now well ahead of the traditional Black Friday start. So what has changed this year and why? To find out, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? The winter holiday shopping season is a make or break time in most retailers' years, and they do a flurry of business that produces a large chunk of their annual revenue. Of course, that means it's also a super busy time for logistics providers in transportation and distribution and warehousing. But lately, the traditional peak season between Thanksgiving and Christmas has been moving earlier and earlier in the calendar and also spreading out the burst of buying, uh, flattening the curve, to use a pandemic expression. Here with us today to talk about how those changes are impacting the logistics sector is Greg Healy. He's the head of industrial service for North America with the industrial real estate firm Savills. Welcome, Greg. Thanks, Ben, for having me on the show. Glad you could be here. First, maybe you could start us off just by explaining what Savills does and how that fits into logistics in particular. Sure. Well, Savills was founded in 1855 in the UK. It's a full-service global commercial real estate firm operating now in about 70 countries with about 40,000 professionals. We're very large in Europe, particularly in the UK, where we're based in London, um, where we, but we also are very large in Asia with over 20,000 associates there. Um, we kind of fit in between the space of consulting and transaction management in commercial real estate. So we really try to work with our, our clients who are tenants primarily and understanding their strategy and their drivers to, uh, to make a location strategy, strategy decision. In my role, I lead the industrial practice for North America, and my background is global supply chain. I was with Honda for 11 years doing global supply chain work. I lived and worked in, in Europe as well as in Asia for several years, both uh, continents. And uh, my job is basically roll up my sleeves with the clients, understand who they want to be in five, 10 years, and work on a strategy that we can execute. Great. Uh, sounds right on target for us then. Uh, we cover transportation and warehousing for the magazine. And from what I've seen, the U.S. is in a period where inventories are very high and warehouses are nearly stuffed full. Is that what you're seeing too? Absolutely. I mean, we are coming off a period where we saw record absorption of industrial real estate over the last you know, three or four years, at least, and record low vacancy rates, as well as record low um, rates for um, interest rates for investment as well. So things are starting to shift a little bit now, but really, if you look at over the overall macro trends, we still see that the coast are sold out for markets. We see um, in uh, vacancy rates about 1.5% in the Inland Empire, Southern California, about uh, 3.5% in the uh, Lehigh Valley area, and 2.5% or less in northern New Jersey. It's very tough because inventories have been swelling. There's been a shift during the pandemic towards more purchasing online with e-commerce. And this idea of saying, you know, if you don't have the product in stock, 
it can create an existential issue for companies. So they've been trying to increase their inventories over the period of, of the COVID pandemic, and now they're stuck with a lot of inventory on hand across many different um, verticals. Wow, that, that 1.5% and 2.5% range of vacancy uh, it is obviously uh, striking. You can't get much lower than that. No, it's like being sold out. I mean, it really, it's difficult for, for uh, these users in the market to find available space because there's nothing available. And that's looking at across all different types of um, you know, class A, class B types of products. So the class A product particularly is, is sold out. It's oftentimes the less desirable space, which, is, which might be still available. Got it. Makes sense. Um, and, you know, we, we tend to think about e-commerce as being a very sort of virtual process. Um, but, you know, all that inventory has to sit somewhere for when we hit that order button. Uh, so we, we can't talk about e-commerce without talking about Amazon. Uh, and they are one of the big examples um, of, of this trend of the peak season moving earlier. Since this year, they launched for the first time a second Prime Day. Uh, so now there's one in October as well as the previous one uh, or the previously existing one that they do annually in July. They've had some pullbacks lately uh, we've seen in the news, but are, are they still the 800 pound gorilla in the space for warehouses? I would say that the uh, 1800 pound gorilla is still in the space. They really are. I mean, we've had to look at this um, from a tenant's perspective Every time they're looking at a building, they're always competing against Amazon, or they have been in the past. And Amazon made this announcement recently that they're going to basically, you know, cancel or close some of their um, buildings which they've planned on acquiring. But really, you know, if you look at the bigger picture, they were at about 175 million square feet across North America, uh, or across the U.S. in 2019. And by 2022, they were almost 500 million square feet. You know? So huge increase. And this sort of pullback they have that they're talking about represents less than 3% of their portfolio. It's kind of like a 2.0 version of their strategy, which is great. They have to revise their strategy before they're looking at basically getting in all markets as fast as they could, and they did for the most part. And now they're refining that. So even though we're announcing this, you know, this change with Amazon, their strategy, it's good to note also that they're currently getting ready to open up their largest facility in the world here in Southern California, where I'm based, 4.1 million square feet, five stories, 12 to 1 ratio to robots to humans operating that facility. So they're just shifting their model a little bit. But even if Amazon isn't as aggressive going forward, and we knew that there would be some point where there'd be saturation by Amazon in the marketplace, there are other users that are trying to take up that slack. There are plenty of users in the market that want to get in these spaces that have been priced out of it, or they've just been you know, unable to, to compete with Amazon. So now, this creates a little bit of an opening for new entrants into the market. So I think it's going to be an interesting time going, going forward. And still, if you look at it, I mean, we've seen this push towards e-commerce the last you know, three years particularly. We've seen the rate of uh, sales that are e-commerce sales peak at about 19%. They pulled back a little bit because consumers are antsy to get out there and uh, physically shop in stores, maybe on 15% now. But overall, long-term trends are still very positive for e-commerce. So I still anticipate when it comes to distribution and transportation industries to be positively impacted by the uh, continued growth in e-commerce over the next few years. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was going to ask about that, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the growth that you had mentioned earlier uh, about e-commerce during pandemic and, and then a little bit of a pullback now. Um, are, are we seeing that uh, balance? Is it going to continue to oscillate uh, between in-person shopping and, and e-commerce discounts? Well, 
I go back to my experience, you know, living overseas and everything. And, and you look at that, and you look at, you know, our relative percentage of retail sales, which are you know, online versus other countries. You look at China today, you're almost 50% of overall retail sales are online through uh, M-commerce, e-commerce, or S-commerce um, models. U.S. is still far lagging in this, really lagging in this. And I think that the convenience of buying these particularly commodity things online will continue to grow. And the variety of products available online will continue to grow. One thing which we are seeing as we have this inflationary pressure um, hitting the United States right now is some of the consumer um, demand is shifting and they're not so much inclined to buy things like groceries online as much as they were in the past. And instead they're saying, maybe I'll buy it online, but I'll pick it up in store versus paying a, a, a surcharge to have it delivered to my home. So those sort of trends are shifting. The last mile trends are shifting a little bit more. Um, but I'm very bullish on the idea of e-commerce continuing to be a significant driver um, for industrial real estate and in, in driving the retail sector going forward. And just for an example, We've seen, well, last year, we saw an average of 36,000 additional jobs monthly um, in, the, in the transportation and warehousing sector in the United States grow. This year, it slowed down a little bit, about 25,000 a month, but you're still seeing growth in the sector, tremendous growth in this sector. So, um, yeah, again, I'm based in the Inland Empire, Southern California, and that's really the primary employment uh, vertical in this area that I've, I'm in. So it's a very important part of our uh, GDP nowadays. Uh, yeah, no doubt, and and I confess I, I didn't realize uh, that, that that China's uh, that, that overall retail was so incredibly high as almost fifty percent. That that's a little more than uh, double what it is here. It must uh, be a really different um, profile of, of how the uh, real estate market works over there. Well, not only that, one more thing, Ben. To that point, is ninety percent of the product that you order online in China is delivered to your house within twenty four hours. So America still catching up in this trend. And I think that um, consumer demand for things uh, faster and also things like cheaper will mean that we'll need more locations for distribution in the, in the future. So keep looking at these trends locally to impact how we uh, develop in, in the United States as well. Yep, great points. Um, and, and speaking about, just to wrap up our discussion here, uh, to return to the issue of inventory, um, you know, you talked about better locations uh, for, for keeping that inventory for in, in the industrial real estate in order to achieve those faster, cheaper um, online order deliveries. Um, that, how do you see that that inventory glut um, being handled in the U.S. by retailers uh, who really have nowhere else to put it right now? Yeah, that that is a challenge, and we've seen you know, companies like Wayfair and, of course, Amazon, as you mentioned earlier, Ben, about promoting these uh, kind of flash sales or Prime Day sales just so they can delete or, you know, further reduce this inventory that they have on hand. It's swelling in, in the facilities, particularly large items like furniture, um, particularly office furniture. has been a big problem in sofas. We're seeing housing starts to drop, and that demand directly impacts um, the amount of uh, furniture that is that is sold in the United States. So if you look at the stock market, you can see, you know, chains like uh, Wayfair stock dropping 60%. Bed Bath and Beyond, 57%, you know, Restoration Hardware dropping, and Williamson, all these are, are dropping because consumers' uh, buying trends are, are shifting as well. They do have to look at either reducing their inventory through the sales, these flash sales to just get rid of, blow it out, or look through alternative channels such as discounters to, to push things out. I mean, it's no good to have the wrong in, have the right inventory at the wrong time. 
So it's important for them to flush out, and that's what Amazon was doing with their second Prime Day um, sale, flush out their warehouses, get it primed and get staged for the holiday season. So expect more of that to happen. And, and you know, as we go into this holiday season right now, the National Retail Federation still expects us to increase retail sales in November and December 6 to 8% which would be a new high for the United States. And that's $942, $960 billion in just the, uh, November, December in, in retail sales. So it's a strange time, but it's a great time. It's a good time for industrial, particularly. So um, I think uh, there might be some great deals this holiday season. <laughs> a, good, a good thing always to keep an eye out. Um, Greg, this has been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your coming on with us. Absolutely. Glad to help. Our guest here today has been Greg Healy with the commercial real estate firm Savills. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Greg and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you reported on the growing importance of last mile delivery in transportation. Can you share more? Absolutely, Dave. Happy to. So more companies are focusing on the importance of last mile delivery to their overall business a factor that's giving logistics a seat at the table in the C-suite and the boardroom. And that's according to data from software as a service company Dispatch Track, which recently released a list of six trends the company says will redefine last mile delivery in 2023. Dispatch Track um, provides last mile delivery software solutions and accounts uh, large retailers such as Walmart and Bob's Furniture, as well as 3PLs and transportation companies among its client base. We've talked a lot on this podcast and in our news pages about the rising profile of supply chain and logistics in both corporate circles and in society in general these past few years. That's, of course, driven by the pandemic and challenges such as, you know, accelerating e-commerce activity, as well as the many delays, disruptions and shortages we've all dealt with or we dealt with in the early days of the pandemic and in some cases are still dealing with. But the growing importance of last mile delivery is also playing a role and more companies are focusing on it for a few reasons. First, because they need to get products to consumers faster than ever before, so it's a customer satisfaction issue. But business leaders are also examining the issue in relation to how it affects their bottom line, as well as its effect on a company's overall environmental footprint and impact. So those are the, those are the primary findings uh, from this, this study. Yeah, that's interesting. Victoria, you mentioned that there were six trends in the report. Can you share what they are and why we should pay attention to them in 2023? Sure. I don't have time to list them all. We're under a time constraint here, but listeners can find them in our story, which was posted to DC Velocity's news page this past Monday, the 14th. But there are a couple that stood out that I wanted to mention. The first is, thing is to expect that heads of logistics departments will increasingly report to the CEO. So essentially, fulfillment is joining sales and marketing um, among the most critical aspects of running a successful business. And those logistics leaders will be more involved in strategy. So that's number one. Second, as with other aspects of the supply chain, technology and automation will take on a more important role in 2023 related to delivery um, as companies look to optimize their last mile operations and adjust to growing demand, but also fluctuating demand. The experts at Dispatch Track said they expect more companies to reevaluate their delivery technologies and applications in the new year, as one example. And another element that stuck out for me is sustainability. The research says to expect a greater focus on making, and I'm quoting, true actionable commitments to environmental change. This is opposed to much of the um, greenwashing that many companies have gotten away with. Essentially, they say it's time to just stop talking about sustainability and start making real progress on green goals. 
This will come in the form of um, strategic efforts to do things like reduce miles driven, decrease the number of trucks on the road, and add electric or semi-electric vehicles to fleets. Now, we report on these efforts quite a bit. There are many companies out there actually doing this, but it sounds like we can expect to be hearing even more of that uh, in 2023. Yeah, so we'll, of course, be definitely tracking those trends. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you reported this week on the growing move to require that new trucks and buses be zero emission vehicles. Can you share some details? Yeah, glad to. And uh, and this uh, dovetails actually with some of the themes that Victoria was just talking about um, in, in terms of some of the impact of, of last mile delivery uh, and, and of making some, uh, some tangible environmental change. Um, however, it comes a little bit uh, more from the from the governmental side um, as opposed to individual companies. So basically, we've been seeing some small steps so far in that direction from a lot of different places. But yesterday, we saw a much bigger step when the Biden administration endorsed a global plan to move toward zero emissions trucks and buses. And that would be for all new vehicles sold starting in 2040, a uh, little bit less than 20 years from now. Uh, this was a group agreement that the White House signed uh, at what's called the COP27 diplomatic meeting in Egypt. And it essentially extends California's CalStart plan to the international stage. So to be clear, this is a non-binding agreement, uh, but it has now been signed by dozens of nations, as well as a number of private corporations, including DHL, the, the German parcel delivery firm that we all know. Uh, and it actually followed a move just about a week ago when the White House had unveiled a different proposed rule that would require federal contractors, those receiving more than $50 million in annual contracts to the federal government, to publicly disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and to set reduction targets. Uh, so that proposed rule, uh, again, it, it's not yet in force, uh, would diminish a little bit with smaller companies. So smaller contractors with $7.5 million per year would have to disclose fewer details and those under that uh, threshold would be exempt. Ben, disclosing and reducing emissions could make a big difference, but do you know how the logistics industry is reacting to this? Great question. Um, you know, there, there has to be a, a, a carrot and a stick here. Um, so to, to follow on, on what, again, Victoria was saying, you know, that companies have to be on board with this to make it work. You know, I haven't seen much reaction yet. Um, it, it, it's all pretty new. Uh, but I can say that earlier this week, uh, we had learned independently that Prologus, uh, that's a big logistics real estate firm, said that it had installed dozens of electric truck uh, charging installations on two of its logistics properties in California. Uh, so again, Prologus is a real estate firm. They own um, these uh, large sites and typically lease them to logistics companies that use them uh, as fulfillment centers, distribution centers, et cetera. Uh, so the latest two sites uh, will enable a tenant uh, of Prologus is called Performance Team. Uh, they're a logistics provider owned by Maersk, the ocean shipping company. And uh, it's enough charging stations to charge 38 uh, Volvo electric Class 8 trucks at the same time. Um, so that's a, you know, obviously more than three dozen uh, you know, full-sized tractor trailers. Uh, and Prologus said that the investment is intended to help its customers transition their commercial fleets to zero emissions uh, transportation. 
so, and one more um, to finish up uh, sort of feedback from the industry, um, I did hear from Proxima, they're a supply chain consultancy. Uh, and, and they pointed out that many businesses so far uh, have struggled to make climate-focused change uh, just because they lack industry standards and common regulations and precise data. So, we're, you know, we're, we're sort of early in this process and it can be hard uh, to get started on those. Uh, but, you know, Proxima said that moves like the proposed rule about federal contractors could lend some clarity to that uh, process. So Simon Giel, uh, he's a, one of the consultants at Proxima, said that you know that there could be some adoption challenges um, if and when uh, that the rule uh, comes into force uh, but he said nobody said that decarbonization was going to be easy um, so he said you know that regulations would focus first on larger firms uh, and you know who in all likelihood are already somewhat familiar with the challenge at hand but that as the businesses get further down the line um, you know the smaller companies could likely need new partnerships, new technology, new approaches uh, in, in order for them to make progress on it. So uh, that, like with many issues, it, it's harder for the smaller guys to make some of these investments. Yeah. But as you said, it, it won't be an easy fix, but it is crucial that I think that we get it right and it's necessary that all the industry work together to solve these problems long term. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks to Greg Healy of Savills for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. The new episodes are released on Tuesdays and focus on attracting and retaining labor in our supply chains. So subscribe to Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be taking a week off with our families over the Thanksgiving weekend, so we won't join you next week, but we'll be back again in two weeks. Until then, Victoria, Ben, and I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Have a great holiday.